Hi, my name is Pamela Coons, Associate Professor of Medicine in the Division of Oncology at Yale School of Medicine and Yale Cancer Center. I'm excited to announce ASCO's new open access journal, JCO Oncology Advances. As the inaugural editor-in-chief, I hope to support JCO Oncology Advances to become the premier platform to bridge the gap between accessible scientific research and clinical care. Stay tuned for more information, including new article types, at ascopubs.org forward slash JCO Oncology Advances. We look forward to seeing your submissions in spring of 2024. This podcast provides observations and commentary on the JCO articles, a randomized placebo-controlled phase 3 study of first-line oxaliplatin-based chemotherapy plus PTK-787, ZK-222584, metalinib, an oral VEGF receptor inhibitor in patients with metastatic colorectal adenocarcinoma by authors uh, Joel Randolph-Heck and colleagues, and also a randomized placebo-controlled phase 3 study of oxaliplatin, fluorouracil, leucovorin, with or without PPK-787, uh, vitalinib, uh, in patients with previously treated metastatic colorectal adenocarcinoma by Eric Van Kutzen and colleagues. My name is Neil Maripol, and I'm chief of the Division of Hematology and Oncology at University Hospital's Case Medical Center and associate director for clinical research at the Case Comprehensive Cancer Center of Case Western Reserve University in Cleveland, Ohio. My oncologic specialty is gastrointestinal malignancies. I'd like to begin this podcast by providing some details about these two studies and their results. I'll then attempt to put this research in perspective from the standpoint of lessons learned and future directions. The Talonib is an oral tyrosine kinase inhibitor that acts as a competitive inhibitor of signaling through all known vascular endothelial growth factor, VEGF, tyrosine kinase receptors, as well as related receptors such as the platelet-derived growth factor receptor, PDGFR. Colorectal cancers depend upon the VEGF family of receptors as the primary drivers of angiogenesis, and hence receptor targeting is an attractive strategy for clinical development. The VEGF pathway itself has been well validated as a therapeutic target in metastatic colorectal cancer, as bevacizumab has shown clinical activity when combined with chemotherapy, leading to its approval for use in the United States and other countries worldwide. Whereas bevacizumab is an antibody that binds the ligand VEGF-A, the talented targets the VEGF family of receptors and is more promiscuous. This promiscuity raised the hope that it would be more effective in the clinic due to its ability to target VEGF receptors 1 and 2 and the PDGFR. Phase 1 clinical studies use dynamic contrast-enhanced MRIs to demonstrate that vitalinib has vascular effects in tumors. The studies under discussion are two Phase 3 randomized placebo-controlled trials in patients with metastatic colorectal cancer. Both studies compared treatment with Fulfox-4, that is, 5-FU, leucovorin, and oxaliplatin, to the same regimen with the addition of once-daily oral vitalinib. The study reported by Hecht and colleagues, the so-called CONFIRM-1 trial, was for previously untreated metastatic disease, whereas the Van Kutzen study, called CONFIRM-2, was for patients who had previously been treated with irinotecan and afluoroprimidine. The designs of these two studies were similar, although the primary endpoint of CONFIRM-1 was progression-free survival, whereas the primary endpoint of CONFIRM-2 was overall survival. 
both studies had adequate patient numbers to address these clinical endpoints. Confirm 1 randomized 1,168 patients, and Confirm 2 included 855 patients. Unfortunately, neither study met its primary endpoint. However, secondary analyses raised the question of whether Vitalinib might have clinical benefit in a certain subset of patients with metastatic colorectal cancer. First, the high-level results. In Confirm 1, the median progression-free survival with 7.7 months and 7.6 months for Vitalinib plus Folfox and placebo plus Folfox, respectively. No difference. Likewise, there was no difference in overall survival, 21.4 months versus 20.5 months. There was also no difference in the response rates between the two arms. In Confirm 2, the second-line trial, there was no statistical difference in the primary endpoint of overall survival, 13.1 months with Vitalinib plus chemotherapy and 11.9 months in the placebo group. On the other hand, for the secondary endpoint of progression-free survival, there was a small difference in favor of Vitalinib, 5.6 versus 4.2 months for the two arms, a 1.4-month difference. As in the case of Confirm 1, there was no difference in response rates between the arms in Confirm 2. An interesting post hoc subgroup analysis was conducted in each of these studies. In each study, the lactate dehydrogenase was used as a stratification factor, given its association with tumor burden and prognosis. Patients were stratified in the randomization process based on whether the LDH was less than or greater than one and a half times the upper limit of normal. When the investigators looked at the outcome of patients based on the LDH group, they observed a potential benefit from Vitalinib that was restricted to the high LDH group. In Confirm 1 in the high LDH group, patients who received Vitalinib lived about two months longer than those who didn't, 7.7 versus 5.8 months, with a hazard ratio of 0.67. Overall survival was no different between the arms in this subset of patients. Likewise, in Confirm 2, the progression-free survival in patients with high LDH was longer in those who received Vitalinib compared with those who didn't. 5.8 versus 4.0 months with a hazard ratio of 0.63. Although there was a trend toward, towards overall improvement in survival with Vitalinib in the high LDH group, this did not reach statistical significance. It must be noted that the number of patients in these subset analyses was relatively small, and therefore adequate statistical power was not present to identify modest differences in treatment effects between the groups. Well, what have we learned from these well-conducted studies? First of all, the primary endpoints were not met in either trial. The Talonid does not improve progression-free survival when added to Folfox as initial treatment for metastatic colorectal cancer, and it doesn't improve overall survival when added to second-line Folfox. These observations are consistent with the lack of improvement in response rate in either trial. Why did the Talonid fail? It's notable that although generally well-tolerated, the Talonid was associated with more severe side effects in particular hypertension, diarrhea, dizziness, and thromboembolism. This led to more treatment discontinuation for reasons other than disease progression in the patients who received metalinib, and hence lower chemotherapy dose intensity. It's also been suggested that the dose and schedule of metalinib were not optimized in these studies. Metalinib has a relatively short half-life of about four to six hours, yet once daily dosing was used in the trials. This raises the question of whether adequate target inhibition was achieved and sustained in the experimental arms of these studies. 
As the authors noted, the potential upregulation of VEGF and other cytokines in the face of pharmacologic inhibition may increase the importance of these dosing considerations. The CONFIRM-1 and CONFIRM-2 investigators conducted exploratory analyses of a potential association between pretreatment LDH levels and the benefit from pitalidin. The results were provocative and led to testable hypotheses regarding the relationship between LDH and tumor angiogenesis. LDH plays an important role in anaerobic metabolism as exists in tumor cells. Under conditions of hypoxia, LDH is induced with its transcription regulated by hypoxia-inducible factor 1, or HIF-1. These exploratory clinical data raise the question of whether a subset of patients with colorectal cancer can be identified who might be most likely to benefit from VEGF receptor kinase and kinase inhibitors, and anti-VEGF strategies in general. Building upon the insights derived from these clinical trials, a greater understanding of the in vivo relationship between VEGF and hypoxia-induced pathways could ultimately improve the personalization of treatments for patients with colorectal cancer. Finally, these studies highlight important issues related to the, to the design and reporting of cancer clinical trials. Both Phase three trials were initiated without a robust Phase two experience, and of course, the retrospectoscope raises the question of whether a development plan that had a Phase two step would have avoided the commitment of patient resources to these big Phase three studies. An important issue in drug development is what criteria should ideally be met in moving directly from a Phase one to a Phase three study, and whether there's a role for so-called Phase two three studies that might permit smooth and rapid transition to Phase three, with a predefined Phase two run-in period embedded in the larger study. Another point to note is that the clinical databases for these two studies were mature about four years ago, and one wonders whether a more timely publication and hence widespread dissemination of these important results might have accelerated our understanding of clinical approaches to VEGF targeting and testing of new hypotheses that might identify those patients who could benefit most from the strategies similar to those so carefully explored in these clinical trials. Recently, results of a randomized study of another VEGF receptor, TKI, Sidirinib, were presented and also suggested a modest, at best, benefit from VEGF receptor targeting in unselected patients. This and other large studies provide a critical opportunity to explore the hypothesis raised by the confirmed investigators. Phase three studies represent the basis of clinical evidence development in oncology. Even those studies that don't meet their primary endpoints may elucidate new mechanisms and provide new insights. The investigators of CONFIRM-1 and CONFIRM-2 should be congratulated for their efforts to understand and explain their results. We now have the opportunity to build upon these data in our ongoing pursuit of therapeutic strategies that target the VEGF pathway and identify those patients most likely to benefit from this approach. This concludes this JCO podcast. Thank you for listening. For more original research, editorials, and review articles, please visit us online at jco.org. This production is copyrighted to the American Society of Clinical Oncology. Thank you for listening.